And with that, let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And really, this is kind of a continuation uh, of last week's study. And as I shared with you last time, uh, not a comfortable subject for any pastor to ever teach on. Fortunately, we're pretty much past that part. And Paul's now going to, to add this. People have asked me, you know, chapter 9 is kind of weird. It's like it's sandwiched between 8 and 10. They both kind of have this picture of liberty and all that kind of thing. And I want to, I want to say to you, I don't know that there's any better example Paul could have used in the sense of his liberty than the issue of himself taking a salary. Uh, that is about as great an example as you can possibly use uh, of saying, okay, I have the liberty to do this, but for the sake of God's plan and his purpose, I'm not going to. He could, but he chose not to take a salary from the church at Corinth. He was taking a salary from the church at Philippi. He undoubtedly was making money as a tent maker. There were things going on in his life. So really this is simply an example in a very practical and extremely personal way of what it means to run the race in relevance. And family of God, I want want you to understand something. We are called by God to be culturally relevant. We're going to see that in the remainder of the chapter today. But we're not called by God to throw God's word out the door to do it. We're not called by God to be anything less than holy to do it. We're not called by God to become something that we shouldn't be as the children of the the Lord to do it. We are called to be relevant in the situation given the principles that are laid down in God's word. And that's as far as relevance goes. Because if you take this subject matter and you look at this, and we're going to see to the Jews, I became a Jew, to the Greeks, a Greek. Well, the Greeks were pretty carnal. I mean, if you carried that to an extreme, you could say, well, you know, I'm going to go worship at the temple up there on the hill. I mean, after all, I want to be a Greek to the Greeks. You know, I want to minister to those guys that have Super Bowl parties, so I'm going to go toss back a few with them. I, I, you know, I want to make sure that I'm culturally relevant, so I'm going to go dip myself in the sewage of the world at the movie theater. That is not what is being said here. And you need to be very careful how far you take relevance. Because we're to be relevant in the sense that we can minister to people the truth in love. Not a lie. A lie told in love is worse than hate, quite frankly. When you cause people to believe something that is not true and you're simply loving, that is probably as deceptive as you can actually be. And so this morning, racing in relevance. We're going to pick up in verse 8. We're going to try and finish chapter 9 this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, we don't want to do anything to hinder people from coming to you. And we want to be relevant. Lord, we want to be able to say that We have done all to stand in that last day, that we have been used of you for your glory and for your plans and purposes in this world. And so, God, we give you this time. We pray that your word would just jump off of these pages and, Lord, bear fruit in our lives, bury themselves deeply in our hearts and our minds, that we might not sin against you, and that, Lord, we'd have a proper view of the world around us and how to minister in it. We love you, we bless you, we thank you for this time. We ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 
verse 8 here in 1 Corinthians 9. And, and do I say this from a merely human point of view? For doesn't the law say the same thing? And so he's going to go on and he's going to kind of finish off the example of these monetary issues that he's talking about, which we laid the foundation for last time, that the church should have been able to pay Paul a salary. That's the responsibility of the church. It's one of the reasons that we tithe to the ministry. It is one of many reasons that we do that, because the church should be flush with enough cash to be able to take care of the ministry that it is engaged in. And so that salaries and buildings and all those things that we talked about last week. It should have been that Paul could have taken a salary. There shouldn't have been any issue. What Paul does with that now comes into view. There should be no issue. But Paul, if he really hears from the Lord, says, hey, you know what? I don't really want to take a salary. I would rather that there's more mission support. I would rather that we have uh, a children's ministry that has all the resources necessary. I would rather that we're able to have a little bigger building because we need it because we're growing. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, it is up to the person to take those things which we have and say, if it's a liberty, I choose not to use them, but rather I would say, let's do something else with those funds. That is how we need to view all liberty. Because you guys are free in Christ, amen? You have a lot of things that you can do. The question is, should you use them? Should you do it? And so here he goes on to say, now, doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading treading grain. Uh, Is it about oxen that God is concerned, the NIV tells us? Is God really sitting there looking at this from a standpoint of how we treat our animals? And I say to you, probably not. God's purpose, though he's given us this wonderful creation, and by the way, I have two Labradors. I love them dearly as much as you can love an animal. And if you come to my house, you're going to find out, yes, I spoil them. We're not talking about animal abuse here. The reason that God sent Jesus to the earth was not to save the planet. It's to save souls, okay? Let's make it really clear. That's why, as Christians, we need to have our priorities correct, We've been all busy about global warming and saving lots of things, and we take care of dolphins and whales at the expense of people. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to save souls, and we need to be concerned about souls above all else. That's the picture here. Not to the abuse of the planet. We've been given stewardship over it. Not to the abuse of animals. We've been given stewardship of those animals as well. They're here for our enjoyment, for the necessities of life. But God is concerned with souls being one for Christ. That's what's in view. Because you can have everything. Jesus said it. What profit it a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And the answer is, there is nothing that you would want to trade for that. And so you could gain the whole world and still be a loser eternally. Amen? You don't want to do that. God's concerned about souls. So don't muzzle the oxen. And so he simply says, do what you should do. Take care of the people who work for you. 
You know, people serving in ministry should be taken care of. Believers, we have the responsibility to take care of our pastoral staff, to take care of our administrative staff, to take care of the things of God. It is a shame on the church when the church doesn't pay its bills on time. We want to do all those things. That comes from faithful giving. So we need to do that. But Paul's now going to go on. For if... We have sown spiritual seed among you. Is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Of course, these questions are largely rhetorical. Of course not. For if others have the right to support, support you, shouldn't we have all the right the more? For if we did not use this right, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Notice the focus. He said, you should be able to take care of this obligation that the church has to take care of its pastor. But if I choose not to take that salary, or if a pastor chooses not to take that salary and gives it back instead to the ministry and does something with it, that is the pastor's right to exercise that liberty in a way that God speaks. And see, this is the way we all stay on even footing with God. I have to hear from the Lord. You have to hear from the Lord. We have to hear from the Lord. And I want to do what the Lord says. That's what we should be focused on. He said, I put up with anything. In other words, what Paul's saying here is, I'll go ahead and keep making tents. I'll do what I have to do, because I don't want to hinder the gospel. And I believe that there is... A huge reason that this is in view in this particular book. This is a relatively new church. It's a relatively young church. It grew extremely fast. It is actually relatively large by the time this letter is written. And has got all the problems of a very young, very exploding church. And so there's all these things going on in the church, and there's tremendous needs, and Paul doesn't want to become another need. So he says of his own personal liberty to take a salary, eh, don't really need it, you guys keep it. He chose to forego that support. Verse 13, it goes on now, And don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what's being offered at the altar? He says, you guys should know these things. Don't you know this? He says, this is a truth. He said, the guys in the pagan temples get taken care of. So make sure you keep it in view. This is not saying that you shouldn't take care of your next pastor. This is not saying you're off the hook from giving. This is not saying that you should all of a sudden just not be concerned with the things of God in a financial sense. It's simply saying... Make sure that you're doing what's right all the time. If we all do what is right all the time, then we're going to have all the resources that we need. We're not going to be hurting for anything, ever. But if we're unfaithful, if we say, well, you know, the pastor doesn't need that because he's got this other job. You see, they could have said that about Paul, couldn't they? And so... One of the things that would have been very tempting in the church at Corinth was, well, I don't really need to support that because, you know, Pastor Paul's got another job. So I can keep my money. That's being disobedient. Not only is it being disobedient, it's denying the plain teaching of Scripture. And so ultimately, the church would then come up short in being able to take care of the guy who comes after Paul. And so he's saying to them, do what's right before the Lord. 
And verse 14, now he goes on. And in the same way, the, the Lord gave orders that those who preach the good news should be so, supported by those who benefit from it. Real simple concept here. That means that those who receive the word from the person who gives the word ought to support the person who gives the word. And so he's setting up for after he leaves. It's a very, very simple thing to see. Because if he simply came in, the church in Corinth could have had the wrong view. Well, we don't need to really actually give, because Paul's already got another job. Well, as soon as Paul leaves, guess what happens to the church? The church fails financially because it can't pay for a pastor. And so what he's saying to them is, be really careful. Because right now we have an opportunity to do something different because the situation is different. So here's where the relevance comes in. At that point, at that time, Paul had said, I don't need a salary. Let's keep it and do something else with it. But let's make sure that we're all still doing that faithful giving right now so that when the time comes, you're actually ahead of the game instead of behind the curve. And so he sets up for them, this is relevant for now, for this situation, for this church at this time, and this is what we're going to do right now. And family, this is so important to understand. And here's why. Because we're not cookie cutter, amen? In this church, you probably have noticed, Calvary chapels, typically, we don't allow children in the sanctuary. I decided a long time ago that it doesn't bother me a single bit to have kids in the sanctuary, providing they're being, you know, good, not screaming, yelling, and distracting. So we do that. A lot of Calvary's, you can't do that. You bring your kids, they're going to tell you, you've got to go to the cry room. You have to do this. You have to do that. And there's nothing wrong with those things. In this church, because of who we are and because the flavor of ministry that we have here and because this is us and not somebody else, the relevant thing to do is, hey, find me a verse that says kids aren't supposed to be in the sanctuary. I go, hmm, there isn't one of those. As a matter of fact, there's exactly the opposite taught in Scripture. So I'm like, okay, let's have kids in the sanctuary. Those coffee pots out there, your little chrome gods. There, there are churches that they would look at, man, you serve coffee. I mean, that's a stimulant. And Well, that's because I don't want the people in first service sleeping until second service gets here. So there's all kinds of liberties that maybe you could do one way or do another, but what works for this church may not work. Hey, we come during the winter, we're in Sorrells, amen? You know, we show up with a down parka on. Do that in Palm Springs. They'll think you're insane. So, so there's a cultural relevance, there's a local relevance, there's political relevance, there's things that we do and change up, if you will, so that we can minister where God has us at the time God places us there. Those things don't need to be made into doctrine and dogma. So if a church doesn't allow Sorrells because they're, you know, they just don't look right, it's okay. Maybe they don't allow coffee in the sanctuary. That's okay. I feel sorry for them, but it's okay. There are some churches that, that when you do communion, it is a very solemn occasion. That's okay. If that's that body. There are churches that, I grew up in a church. Man, you didn't wear a, t a suit and tie to church on Sunday. 
I'm, it was it was like you were there's something seriously wrong with your walk with the Lord. That's okay if that makes those people feel comfortable before the kingdom of God and before their Lord. Let's not haggle over those things. Let's be relevant to who we are, so that we're going to see we might win some. I can tell you right now, most of the people in Running Springs, if they came in here and you were all sitting around in finery and suits and ties, they would go, oh, no, wrong building. (laughs) Doesn't mean you can't wear one. I wear them every once in a while just to freak you guys out. But it's okay. If that makes you feel comfortable, praise the Lord. But generally speaking, we're kind of a cultural mix of people who are kind of got out of that lifestyle. And we'd rather not wear suits. And so I do throw on a Hawaiian shirt or dress casually. It doesn't make anyone else wrong, and it doesn't make us better. It simply makes us relevant. And it says this is who we are. We need to remember that people need to be met where they are, right where they're at. Verse 15, but I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in hope that you will do such a thing for me. He says, I'm not trying to to speak a word here so you'll get a guilt trip thrown on you and, oh, you know, Paul has to work. That's not what he's saying. He's saying very clearly the opposite. He says, I'm completely entitled to a salary, but to be relevant right now, don't want you to give it to me. Let's use it somewhere else. And I want you guys to understand how the church grows. The church doesn't grow by the pastor going around the community and trying to drag people in. The church grows when you guys live gospel lives in the community. Because you have friends I don't. You go to places I don't. You can minister in ways that I can't. And so the relevance is your lives being spread into our communities. And and as we do that, and as you minister in that environment, you can. Somebody wants to, you know, get a get a lesson on trout fishing, man. Send them to me. Uh, They will they will walk away going, yes, thank you, Jesus. I'm taking dominion over fish. Pastor Jeff told me I can do that. But but there are a lot of things I can't do. Do not send them to... If they need to know quilting, send them to my wife, okay? All over it. Wedding dresses, send them to her. She's relevant in one way. I'm relevant in another. And that's true with each of you. You all have gifts and talents and a calling. And we're supposed to run the race with relevance. You use your gifts. I use mine. There are things that we do in commonality that we could not do individually. And so we run this incredible race in the hopes that we might win some. That we might reach out that we might be a powerful force. He says and finishes up verse 15, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. He says, you know what? I'm going to do what God told me to do. Don't cheat me out of that. I want to do what God called me to do. And family, this this is so important for each of us. Do what God tells you to do. 
Don't be manipulated, but also don't be let off the hook by your liberty. We need to do what God tells us to do. I can tell you something. He's not going to tell you something that's contrary to his word. So if his word authoritatively speaks it, we need to do it. But at the same time, don't be manipulated into doing something God hasn't clearly spoken to you. So if you feel God's spoken, as we said before, make sure your conscience is clear before the Lord and you do what God tells you to do. Verse 16, and yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. Family of God, when I preach the gospel, I can't boast. Jesus Christ is the only reason that I stand before you today. Apart from his shed blood, forget it. Jeff's just a contractor. Just Jeff, which is not good. I can't boast about that. But I can tell you that God's done a lot of amazing things through my life. I don't even know how he does those things. But he's done that. So my boasting is not in me. My boasting's in the Lord. Sometimes I look around at what this church does and who we are and the community we're in and the way the, you know, the economic trend is here on the mountain, all those things, and I go, thank you, Jesus, we still have a church. Thank you, God, that we're still doing the things that we're doing. Praise the Lord and glory to him. He says, for I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. What he was really saying was, I really don't have any choice because of what God's done in my life. And each of us should be able to say this. Because of what God has done in my life, I can't do anything else. I want to preach the gospel. I want to teach his word. I want to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's what I want to do. It's what we should all want to do. And if each of us does our part, then those who have the particular gifts, like the one that I have as a pastor teacher, are going to be able to do those things. And those who have the gift of helps and hospitality will get to do those things. There will be a body in which those things operate. In verse 17, for if I were doing this of my own free will, then I would deserve payment. He said, if, if this was some business enterprise, you know, if I had just simply concocted some way to make a living, th- then this would be about nothing but money. But it's not. A lot of times when I teach at the Bible college, you know, one of the things that I, I get to do relatively frequently is, is we do pastor's week. And that's an opportunity for those who want to go into ministry to sit down with guys like me that have been in ministry for a long time and say, well, what about this and what about that? You can't believe some of the crazy questions I get. The, the first, some of the first words out of some people's mouths are, well, you know, when's my first vacation? You know, what, what type of retirement plan do you have? Well, I have, I have heaven. That's my retirement retirement plan, basically. You you see, it was just a business. If you just go to some school someplace and you could learn some skills and talents and whatever, it'd be like a trade school. But what you don't have when you do that is you don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What you don't have is the ability to communicate God's truths in a way that's relevant. You're just simply regurgitating what somebody else taught you. And so the Lord speaks through the Apostle Paul, but God has chosen me 
and given me this sacred trust, and I have no choice, the New Living says. Woe unto me if I don't teach. Woe unto me if I don't preach. Woe unto me if I don't do what I'm doing right now, because this is what God's called me to do. It's that simple. You know, one of the things that happens, and probably some of you that are, you know, like many of us in this room, a, a little bit older, a little bit wiser, I pray, you, know, you start looking at, at life in the rearview mirror, amen? I'm starting to do that. I'm getting close to 60. I, I'm kind of like gazing in the rearview mirror and go, wow, that was different. And you start realizing, you know, there's really no turning back from where you are. You are what you are. I am what I am by the will of God. You know, there's no way in the world I'm going to go out and back into the business world, do all the things I used to do, because I've been called to be a pastor teacher. I've been called to preach the gospel. And so I look at it, and all those things that used to be the past, they're the past. Different life is what there is now. And so you look at it and go, you know what, Lord, this is awesome. I don't know how you're going to work all this out. Somebody asked me, well, what's your, what's your B plan? I said, I don't have a B plan. I have an A plan. I just have A. That's it. There is no B. There's no C. There's no subsets. There's nothing. It's A. It's preach the gospel until Jesus takes me home. That's it. He says, what then is my reward? And I'm reading again from the New International Version. Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I might offer it free of charge. And so not to make use of my rights in preaching it. He says, it's the coolest thing. Because I get to preach the gospel and watch people come to Christ, and I get to do it without even worrying about money. That is how we need to view everything we do for Christ. It isn't about who gets the credit. It's not about who gets the glory. It's not about who gets the money. It's not about whose name is in the bulletin. It is not about who does what. It's about who we do it for. And when we do that, there's this peace that you just have. It doesn't mean that you don't go through times of difficulty or struggles. I go through those things. I still have human thoughts and human emotions. But this is what God's called me to. And there's nothing better on this earth. And we do that together. Verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men. So now he's using that as an example. He's saying, I'm free. Nobody's going to be able to accuse the Apostle Paul of being in it for the money. Because he's not taking a salary. Kind of hard to be in it for the money when you're not taking a salary. Okay, It's just pretty matter of fact here. For I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Notice the goal. Would you notice the goal? The Apostle Paul, because of who he was as a Jew, being a Pharisee, likely a man of some means, likely a man of some power, likely a man whose past had in it uh, at least a lifestyle greater than the average person, said, you know what? I'll do this for free that I might win the more. He said, if that's what it takes, I'll do what it takes. What an attitude for us to have. I will do what it takes that we might win some. That is cultural adaptation at its finest. By being a slave to all, basically Paul's communicating the heart of his mission strategy. 
He says, I'm going to make myself available to everybody. They won't need to, you know, sign me over a check. They won't need to do anything but just simply freely receive because it's been freely given. Here it is. In some ways, this is just the the epitome of serving others. He's saying, you know what? Of all the things that bother people the most, pretty typically, you want to get into a fight with your, your family, talk about money and politics. Amen? Those two things, it's just every single time. And Paul's saying, I don't want anybody to get upset, so I'm just going to do what I can do. I'm going to lay down a right I have so that I might win some more. In verse 20, he goes on to the Jews. Now notice how he now personalizes this yet further. He's saying, I have, I'm entitled to be paid, but I'm not going to take a salary. Because I want people to come to Christ. I don't want to be a burden on anybody. That's the way he's going to live his life. And now he goes on to broaden this whole picture. He says, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. So what he's saying is, is within the guidelines of God's word and the principles contained in it, which at that time would have been the Old Testament, by the way, the New Testament's being drafted. These things that he's writing about, he was actually living. They wouldn't be written down for... Uh, another 40 or 50 years at the very least. And and so he says to them, I became like a Jew to the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. For I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. Do you realize what he's saying? He's saying, I even became a Padre fan. Even though the Padres, well, the rapture will happen before they win a pennant. I'm a Padre fan, okay? I can't explain it. But, but it's that type of thing. He said, I want to be relevant to that person. I want to make sure that when we talk, they realize I'm not looking down my nose at them. And so if they were Jewish, he became like a Jew. In other words, when he hung out with Jewish people, he probably partook of the Passover Seder still. When he hung out with his Jewish friends, my guess is he probably wore a skull cap, a yarmulke. When he hung out with his Jewish friends, when he was ministering to those people who were of the Jewish faith, he did as much as he could to be relevant without denying the plain truth of the gospel, without denying his Lord, without causing them to think that they needed to be a Jew and a Christian to be saved, without being a Judaizer. He said, I want to do anything and everything I can up to the point of anything that's inherently sinful or against the will of the Lord, I want to make sure that they know that God loves them. And so to the Jews, he became a Jew. And in verse 21, he says, And to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. He said to the Gentiles, in other words, this is the, the New International Version, he said to the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile. Somebody who didn't have the law. The Jews had the law. They thought they were different. They thought they were better, quite frankly, than everyone else. The Jews didn't have it, and they were kind of proud of that side of it. They were like, well, we don't, we're not in the law. And so when he was around Gentiles, when he was around people who did not have the law, he said, you know what? These guys, I'm going to hang out with them. So he probably took his yarmulke off. He says, you know what? It's not saving me. I'm taking it off. It's not hindering the gospel. I'm taking it off. I don't want to do anything that's going to stumble anybody. Total cultural and situational relevance within the confines of God's word, will, and way. 
He says, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and make sure that they know that Jesus loves them. And so he went and probably watched a Padre game. After all, they were Franciscan friars, you know. Very spiritual. He said, and so as to win those not having the law. Didn't mean that Paul had thrown away every restraint. Didn't mean that he'd given up uh, on being holy. It just meant when he was with the Gentiles, he laid down his kosher, normal way of life. And to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. Now this goes back to what we already talked about. Those who are weak in conscience. Those who were weak in the Lord. He became like somebody who was weak. He said, man, these guys have a weakness. I am going to pretend that I myself have that weakness, and I'm going to lay down my liberties, I'm going to lay down my rights, and I'm going to be just like they are because I want to win them to the Lord. You see, he could have kept a very lofty, high standard of a Christian who was now completed in Christ, who lived this crazy holy life, who knew the Old Testament by heart, who understood that there were principles in God's Word that, as a general rule, were okay for us to live out, even as believers, he would have looked unapproachable to somebody who was weak. Amen? That's why sometimes people don't come to Christ, because they look at us in our holier-than-thou moments, They look at us as we hold, oh, man, you know, you do that. I have met people that don't go to weddings, don't go to funerals. Well, you know, I'm not going to go to that wedding, you know, because they're going to have alcohol at that wedding. Brothers and sisters, you will win no one to Christ if you avoid everyone. Is that simple enough for you? That's what's going to happen. You're going to win no one to Christ. Oh, you'll be perfectly holy yourself, and you'll have no effect for the kingdom. Now, what I just said is not for you to go and, and be a disservice to the Lord by doing exactly what they're doing, but you can still go and be salt and be light. You can go with that weak person and know that they're weak and not do anything that they do so that they can see someone who's strong being weak for their sake. It's very simple. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means. Notice this, I might by all means save some. In other words, he's going to do everything he can to win these people to Christ. And now I do this for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker of it with you. He says, we're in this together. And if each one of us is relevant where we are and we run as we are, he goes on to say, for remember that in a race everyone runs. And so now he finishes his whole concept up. He says, we're all in this race together. We're all running. It's like this giant pack in a marathon. There's only going to be one winner in that sense. He's not talking about salvation. But you know what? Nobody gets into that race. Man, I hope I'm dead last. I really want to be a failure today. I hope that I can do nothing. I I just want to be abysmal at everything. No, everyone gets into the race hoping to do their very best. Amen? Amen. If you're a realist, you might realize that you're not going to win, but you can run as well as you can run. And you can do what you can do. And that's the picture that's in view here. Paul's saying, let's get in the race and let's run the race so that we might win some together. You may get the ones at the back of the pack. Maybe I get the ones at the front of the pack. There's a whole group that are in the middle of the pack, and we're running this race together, and I can reach some, and you can reach some, and we together can reach some. Amen? 
And as we do that, we have a greater chance of being successful. Because if you go out and it's just you against the world, how successful do you think you're going to be? So we run the race together. He says, but only one person gets the prize in that race. He's making the negative analogy. He says, only one wins then. But we are winners in Christ. We are victorious. The battle's been won. We're going to heaven. And so we're finishing the race. But you also must run in such a way that you'll win. In other words, you want to give it your best. I want to give it my best. God is not asking you to be what I am. Maybe he's not given you the gifts that I have, the specific gifts. But he undoubtedly has given you some gifts, and he undoubtedly has put you in situations that I'm not in. And so he says to you, run so that you can win, because you have somebody that you can reach. You have someone that's unique to your situation. All athletes practice strict self-control and discipline, and they do not win a prize that will fade away, but we, or they win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. In other words, our motivations, our goals, our aspirations are completely different as Christians. You know, I, I can't believe how much time I've spent in my life in athletic endeavor. I can't believe how many things I've done for the for the that box in the garage that is those plastic trophies. Amen. You can pull them out, man. Oh, I was first in this. You know, I got all oh, second place in that. I had my whole world broken down when we had our storage unit. We we forgot to make a payment, and it was cleared out while we were living in Austria. All of my trophies, all of my awards, all those things. It was on that show, you know, the the one where they go and open up the, yeah. My stuff. But something cool happened. Who cares? Who cares? I, I have medals in there, state championship medals, and they're gone. Who cares? Compared to eternity, who cares? Let me give you a little secret. Nobody wants to see your vacation photos. <laughs> who cares? It's the same deal, amen? It's just like they're unique to you. It's wonderful for you. Let's run to win. We're talking about eternal things. Souls being one for Christ. It's a long race, and we're in it together. We're not in it for a piece of plastic. We're not in it for a bunch of photos. We're in it to win it. Amen? And so I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training so that I should do what I should Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. He said, I, I'm in this to win. We're in it to win. And whatever liberties you have, if you set them aside for a time so that you can win, praise the Lord. If you engage in those things for a time because it's appropriate, praise the Lord. But be in it to win. Run with relevance. Do what God's called you to do. Be what God's called you to be so that we might win some. Amen? That's what we're here for.
That's what we're here for. We have been left specifically on this earth as Christians to make disciples of all nations. That's why you're here. That's your friends, that's your family, that's your neighbors. It's this community. It's wherever we go is to win some. That's running with relevance. Well, let's go win some. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this passage, Lord, so easy to see how it, it can apply to each of us. Lord, you've given us gifts and talents and spread amongst us these wonderful things that, God, you could use for your glory. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't do anything that hinders people from seeing you. Lord, we pray that we'd handle each liberty with self-control and discipline. We pray that we'd be strengthened in that, that walk that we have with you so that we might be used of you. Lord, help us to not be disqualified. Help us to not run in a way that at the end of the race we, we have no fruit. And so, God, we bless you. We thank you for the time uh, this morning that we spent in your word. And as we uh, again worship you and then thank you for your goodness, we pray that you'd be well pleased as you look down from heaven. How uh, We pray that there'd be no hindrances in our lives. Lord, help us to run and help us to race uh, effectively and fervent for your kingdom while we await that trumpet sound. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship the Lord and we'll pray for our